the world another time. In the age of spoilers, the panel of peril gathers in the sacred chamber to spoil the dark crystal. For this is the way of the cruel and twisted panel. Welcome to Diabolical, the show where four long-suffering friends dissect films' most dastardly schemes, then try to improve them. I'm your host, Adam, and for the next 20 episodes at least, aka The Cinemaster. And this week's film is the cult fantasy, The Dark Crystal. So dear listeners, what was sundered and undone shall be whole the two made one. Let's get diabolical. Greetings and welcome to this week's pod. And most importantly of all, the start of a brand new season four. (laughs) Thanks for sticking with us this far, Peril Pals. If it wasn't for the two of you listening, we'd probably have given up and been jacking it in (laughs) San Diego many, many moons ago. You're very welcome. Mainly I I listen because I enjoy listening to me. And, uh, whichever one of the other three of you is the other one that listens. <laughs> God knows I'd rather be in San Diego jacking it. Wow. Holy shit. House prices in San Diego are sky high currently. You don't need yeah. a house to jack it. Let's just go to the beach. You can't jack it 24-7. You need a bit of respite. San Diego, of course, is Dutch for whale vagina. Ideal to jack it too. <laughs> <laughs> This season, it's business as usual. We continue with our current one-member, one-vote system, and, of course, no voting for yourself. Joining me, as always, are my friends and fellow podcasters in their guise as the panel of peril. So, chaps, please introduce yourselves and tell me, what is your favourite children's fantasy work? I should go with Ben. Hi, Ben here. My favourite children's fantasy is uh, something that we've covered previously on the podcast, episode 34, to be precise, and that's The Labyrinth. Nothing like David Bowie in a codpiece. <laughs> <laughs> my name is Gaz, and my favourite children-slash-family fantasy adventure is Miyazaki's Spirited Away. Ah. Uh-huh. Uh, I was hoping one of you might choose that, yeah. Oh, I was at the Ghibli Museum just the other day. I'm jealous. I'm jealous. Yeah. It was on my short list for this question, for sure, uh, of two. So I'll pick the other one. Craig here, <laughs> my favourite children's fantasy. Arguably science fiction, but I think, it, you know, if you look at it, it really falls into the realm of fantasy, is uh, E.T., the extraterrestrial. I watched that yesterday. Did you cry? I didn't cry. I enjoyed it a lot, though. What was the last film you cried at? What was I watching the other day? Oh, so it was recent. Yeah, I've grown quite a bit more sentimental in my middle age. <laughs> was it Transformers Dark of the Moon? <laughs> yes. Oh, Munich. I'm watching <laughs> oh, Lots yeah. Spielberg at the moment. Yeah, Munich. Oh, cool. Various 
points to I've forgotten how moving it is. <laughs> right, yeah. Munich's one of those films where I, when I watched it, I thought I can never watch that again. You know, oh, I do that great. quite a lot, don't I? I know, yeah, not not really because I don't good. like it. <laughs> great for Fireflies, is that for me? Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like that. Not like because I don't like it, but because it was just too upsetting. Same with like Requiem for a Dream. I don't dislike the film, I just can't see it again. As for me, it's like I said, it's going to be a blast from the past. It's The Faraway Tree by uh, Enid Blyton. That's the first time I remember sort of my mind wandering off into the fantastical realms of what ha- might happen in enchanted forests and things like that. And it was just pure. Do you know, it didn't even occur to me that you were thinking about literature. In that case, I probably mm. would have said The Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe. When I read that one, I was like, what, six or something? Mm. I mm-hmm. thought it was amazing. Mm. didn't really know what subtext was when I was six. I just really liked the story. Yeah, no, no, that's it. It, it, it doesn't have to have a, a subtext or anything, really. It's, right. it's the thing that makes you detached from the world we live in, isn't it, really? That's that's what yeah. The Faraway Tree did for me. And that's, that's yeah. I think, I, I, I thought about it for a while. I thought that's, that's probably one of the moments where you go, you sort of go off on that tangent. And if, well, if you think it's silly, you probably just become very boring and have no life so yeah yeah i, I read that book for my uh well when i was a kid as well and it was a big favorite in our house but it also, also i read it for my daughters mm-hmm. and we we even went as far as to build a faraway tree yeah a uh, playhouse how far uh, ah. uh it was in the living room ironically <laughs> not, not far away then <laughs> how ironic it wasn't very accurately named then was it the magic of the very close tree <laughs> Another world, another time, in the age of wonder. Yeah, Omer roamed wild and free, humming a whimsical tune without a care in the world before the crystal cracked. Now, however, we have taken it hostage and use its power for the nefarious purposes of casting judgment on all things cinema. So can I please have a yeah, Omer, for the following Actors from the year of our birth, 1982. Kieran Culkin. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. for Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Igby Goes Down, Home Alone, and recently Succession. Oh, he's great. Anne Hathaway. Yeah. Oh, I think Anne yeah. Hathaway is yeah. uh, brilliant. Her uh, dime turns in Dark Knight Rises are crazy. So good. Yeah. She's uh, she's the surprise Catwoman, isn't she? Really, the the one yeah. that everybody saw, I, including myself, didn't expect much of, and she she really nailed it. I'll say meh because I can't really think of any other films that she's in, and I wasn't a huge fan of Dark Knight Rises. Uh, the Princess Diaries. Never seen it. I've got a job. <laughs> <laughs> Seth Rogen. Yeah. 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 Uh, Kirsten Dunst. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. 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 She's not, not been too prolific recently, but she's uh, been a busy girl living her career. Even as a kid, interview with the vampire, amazing in that. Uh, the, the Disney dub of Kiki's delivery service. She was Kiki. And yeah, been a fan of hers for a long time. Uh, Elizabeth Moss. Yeah. Yeah. And last but not least, putting a chuck in a UK one there, Natalie Dormer. Who? She's from Game of Thrones. Game of she Thrones. was good in Game of Thrones. Marjorie, so yeah. yeah, she was fantastic. Yeah. yeah, 
she's she's in Queen Marjorie. Age of Resistance. She's in Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. Don't know who it is. And I refuse to Google it. <laughs> <laughs> Nineteen eighty two also spawned other babies in the form of films, three of which we have already covered our very own beautiful diabolical babies, which are Blade Runner episode fifty one, Rambo First Blood episode forty three, and Star Trek two The Wrath of Khan episode thirteen. The Dark Crystal is a nineteen eighty two fantasy film directed by Jim Henson and Frank Oz. Set in the mystical world of Thra, the film follows a young Gelfling named Jen on a quest to heal the Dark Crystal and restore balance to his world by defeating the evil Skeksis. The film was notable for its innovative puppetry and practical effects, creating a visually captivating experience. The production budget for Dark Crystal was around $15 million. At the box office, it grossed approximately $41 million globally achieving moderate success. Despite not being a massive commercial hit upon its initial release, the film has gained a cult following over the years due to its unique visuals and imaginative storytelling. The legacy of The Dark Crystal has continued through various mediums, including novels, comics, and a series titled The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, released on Netflix in 2019. This prequel series expanded the lore and garnered praise for its craftsmanship and storytelling. The original film's influence can also be seen in subsequent fantasy works, showcasing its enduring impact on the genre. Now then, one of us has only just popped his dark cherry, and I'm very excited to hear his thoughts. So Craig, did you drink in the dark crystal like a podling's essence? Well, like the first thing that struck me when I was watching it is it's just an incredible technical achievement. The the Muppets in it are some of the best, most intricate I've ever seen. The world feels really alive with one very unfortunate glaring exception, which just happens to be the main characters. Because I think the uh, Gelfling Muppets look like dog shit and they, they look <laughs> like early... <laughs> Super Mario Nation, Jerry Anderson rejects the way they move and walk, and it it put me off quite a lot. I really found uh, Jen's inner monologue really irritating at the start, and I found it difficult yeah. to kind of buy into the world because of those things. And I just found myself quite bored. It didn't really feel like it had much of a story to get invested in. And quite a lot of the way through, I was thinking, oh, this is really kind of bland and generic. But I kind of perked up a bit towards the end, and you started seeing hints at the links between the Skeksis and the Mystics. At that point, I was like, oh, well, this is starting to be interesting. And then it was mm-hmm. kind of over, and I just thought I could take it or mm-hmm. leave it. It was it was very impressive, but not very engaging. And then you asked me, had I watched Age of Resistance? And I was like, nah, should I? And you were like, yeah. And I watched all of it in like the last two <laughs> days, and it's one of the best things I've ever seen. <laughs> Fucking unbelievable. Yeah, they nailed it. So good. They yeah. nailed it's, it. It's like Game of Thrones. So much story in there, so much lore. Beautifully directed. Well done, mm. Louis Leterrier. Mm. One of the things about the first one, and I, I know that they had hired like a 
a cinematographer that they weren't necessarily happy with all the time. Like originally he didn't light it very well and stuff like that. But it kind of looks like flat. Like they've built all these impressive sets and the world of Thrar is like beautifully realized by the, you know, the, the concept design and the people who made the sets. But then you don't really get a good look at it. You know, you were, you were talking about, I think when we did Labyrinth, you were talking about the long striders and how cool they were. Yeah. And when they came on screen, I, I was like, they're not really shooting them very well. They were shooting them from like the the knee mm. joint up, <laughs> like really close to the camera. And I was like, what the fuck? This is begging for like a wide look at these incredible mm. creatures. But then, you know, like a lot of things, Age of Resistance improved on that. And mm-hmm. I think uh, really has saved the franchise in my mind. I, I loved Age of Resistance so much that I want to love Dark Crystal. I want to watch it again now to see if I can get into it. Oh, good. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Gaz? Well, I'm going to read you my letterbox review. Oh, God. For which I <laughs> simply wrote, next to no plot nor engaging heroes, but incredible world building and design. Four stars. <laughs> hey! <laughs> Particularly Jen and Kira. There's literally no character there. They're just a face that speaks. Right. (laughs) They go, you need to go from A to B. And they go, okay, I will. (laughs) Then they do. (laughs) (laughs) With zero character motivation. And it doesn't help that they're the blandest puppets, right? Because you can't really engage with them on any level. They don't have any motivation and they don't, they're not interesting to look at. And also, they've got that fucking Gordon the Gopher triple thing that follows them around. Fisky, like him. Fisky. Yeah, he's great. <laughs> but he looks stupid. He doesn't look like... You know, you look at the Skeksis and you look at the Mystics. The Mystics particularly, they've got this beautiful, elaborate design on their skin. Because they've got snouts, it doesn't bother me that they talk by going up and down with their mouths. They just feel mm. alive to me. They feel like real creatures. But then you get to the mm. And they just don't, they just look like crappy Jerry Anderson early puppets. Uh, Jerry Anderson's puppets got better than that as time went on. Mm. It's really, I don't quite get how it worked. It must be to do with the design of the Gelfling faces on some level, because Yoda feels alive to me. Initially, they didn't have any tight control of the face at all. Mm. Kind of three weeks before production, they got this team in the UK to, to redo the faces. So in the end, Jim Henson would operate Jen's body but then there would be a separate performer, Wendy mm. Midner. Yeah. She would sit with like this little remote control the size of a shoebox and she'd be doing mm. eyebrow movements, ear movements. It's the mouth that bothers me. That's, that's the, the mouth point. didn't have mm. a lot of uh, didn't have a lot of movement to it, yeah. Yeah. No. What what they did improve on there was they took a lot of the stuff they learned from Yoda in Empire. Yeah and ILM and stuff like that, whereas Yoda was like a solid rubber puppet and he didn't have much room to maneuver and stuff like that, even though we, we can look back at that now, but you can compare and contrast between that and the Gelfling. And there's a big difference is because the Gelfling were made with foam latex and it was the first time they used that in a film. Right. Although one of the performers, um, a guy called Tim Clark, he said that the, the controls for, you know, the like m- mechanical controls and stuff was, were very primitive at the time he said they were just like a camera open and close lens trigger and that was it sometimes it'd be close it to open them and open it to close them and and all this kind of stuff so he said it was extremely primitive but obviously things have got a lot better 
but what they did from when ILM did Yoda and they took all that basic technology they learned two years previous and applied it and then brought it on again in another huge bound. Well, I wonder if Wendy Midner is the maiden name of Wendy Froud. Uh, she was known as the mother of Yoda. She built the Yoda puppet with other, with a team, but married the, the, uh, the creature designer, Brian Froud. Uh, oh, maybe she was. Maybe she was. I can't remember. Uh, there's a yeah. It might there's, be a different um, Wendy. Uh, there's a Wendy is it, talking. Like, is his wife's name. It might be her. Yeah. Well, it speaking of her, Yoda, actually. Catherine Mullen, who who operated Kira, did support Frank Oz on Yoda. There was a lot of people that filtering through like Star Wars and into Dark Crystal or out of Dark Crystal into Return of the Jedi as well, which is quite interesting. Yeah, because um, Tim Rose, who played the Treasurer, one of the Skeksis. Famously played Admiral Akbar. Yeah. Uh, I think they're puppeteered very well, like brilliantly. Yeah. But because the, their facial features don't have a lot of range of movement, and as Gal said, the, the characters just lack motivation. Yeah, they, they, they were hard for me to get invested in. Mm-hmm. Ben, what are your thoughts as um, somebody I know who's been keen to talk about this film? Well, I have an infinite amount of love for it. <laughs> it's up there with the Labyrinth, as I mentioned earlier, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, uh, Return to Oz as a dark fairy tale mm. and captured my imagination like, well over 30 years ago and has held on mm. ever since. Like the others have said, it's not without its faults, particularly Jen's motivation. There's one scene where he goes, why am I doing this alone? Okay, alone it is. It's almost in the same breath. There's no... <laughs> it's like, what? But it's the detail, like I said, the detail and love that's poured into making Thra come to life. That you know, and not, not to mention the enormous amount of heart in every performance that make it such a special film for me. So I give it, a, if you haven't seen it, you're missing out on an all-timer out of five. Ooh, very nice. Yeah. I would give it a... If you see it and you don't love it, watch Age of Resistance because Age of Resistance fucks. One of the best <laughs> yeah. things I've ever seen. And is that out of five? Out of five. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with um, everything you've parts of what all what you've said. Yeah, there's a huge problem with the narrative in this film because there's barely any things seem to happen. You're like, why has that happened like that? And what, what's going on here? And and that's what my notes were filled filled with that when I was actually watching the film I was like writing more questions than than I was saying oh this is a great bit you know and saying what's a great bit I was like yeah well I wondered if it was just one of those things that demands to be rewatched because I got so much more out of Age of Resistance because they do build on a lot of the stuff that they touch on in Dark Crystal oh yeah like the the wall that has all the murals of prophecy on it and stuff and you get to see all yeah. the culture of Gelfling yeah you know in in the past the link between the mystics and Skeksis was the most interesting thing in the Dark Crystal to me, and they barely touched on it in the film. They went into a lot of detail mm. on it in the show. Mm. Some of my favourite bits. Yeah, I, I think they must they must have realised what they had there because it was genius. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, I think I think what what the, the the entire cast and crew did, particularly like Brian Froud and Jim Henson and Frank Oz, they had a huge vision for it, and that's what they showed us. They gave us this epic vision of this world but just as they were going they they sort of like opened the doors and just as you're about to step through into this huge humongous world they shut the doors on you and go oh let's get back to this 
story that's not very well thought out. <laughs> and then they'll, again, later on, they'll open the doors again. And you're just like, holy shit, they did a bang. And you're like, oh, but yeah. that is, that essence of it, pardon, no, no pun intended, is <laughs> it has kept people interested for 35 years. And then it spawned a Age of Resistance, which is because people knew and, and well, people have been writing um, graphic novels and, and, and novels and all sorts of stuff and fan, fan literature. And, and they've been doing um, Dark Crystal fan films as well, short fan films for years. So it's that humongous nature of the world that has kept people interested in it. And that's what keeps me interested in the film. And I love that. And watching some of the interviews of, with Jim Henson and Frank Oz and the others and like Brian Froud and, and listening to some interviews on the podcast, it's, you can hear that they, you know, they, they don't just, it doesn't just, the passion doesn't just come from the, from them. It comes from them talking about their experiences with other cast members and, and other production crew and stuff like that. And it's just, uh, I think, really, it's hard to imagine a film where, you know, they, they've got so many people committed for such a long time to this process of making this film. And, yeah, it's a wonderful, wonderful film. Again, it will always stay in my heart as a film I saw when I was a kid. And Gaz said about Evil Dead 2 is his comfort film and he'll get in you know that's the film you put on and snuggle down behind a you know a duvet or something like that turn the lights off and and this and i realized this is my this is my film i haven't seen it for such a long time but i just wanted to i did pull the curtains when i watched it and i was just like this is it this is the the the, the snuggle down film get comfortable and and don't go anywhere for an hour and a half so yeah i absolutely love it despite it's um obvious flaws it's just fantastic did you know that they initially planned on having all the different species in it speaking their own language so the skexis yeah. had their own language the only the only people who be talking in english were were the the gelfling they did a test screening either to an audience or to the studio executives they didn't like it and jim henson and the producer had to go back and redub all the stuff they had recorded in this particular alien languages and stuff into English. So it's sort of that you've lost a bit of the narrative there straight away. I think if we hadn't been able to understand the Skeksis, it would have been a great shame. Yeah. Hmm. The little potato boys, they still keep their own language, don't they? The podlings. Podlings. The potato boys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bless him. I love the one in Age of Resistance who's got the fucking the amazing hair. <laughs> oh yeah, the one that is um, looking after Ogre. What's the guy called from Stranger Things? Steve Harrington. He's got Steve Harrington <laughs> hair. <Fucking> it around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, let's go into a bit of a. Uh, Trivia, shall we? Um, Gaz, let's uh, hit, hit us with your rhythm stick. Well, just like last time, the Cinemaster asked us to to bring some bits. I've done it in the form of a quiz. Ah. So it's just true or false. I haven't got multiple choice. True or false? Cinematographer Oswald Morris fixed a light flex to the camera to give the film a glow similar to the ones given in the concept drawings. True. Hmm. Trout. 
Yeah, I'm going to say true. Yeah. Be a bit of a weird Ooh. thing for me to make up, wouldn't it? It's such an obviously cool <laughs> thing. So, yeah. Uh, I already mentioned it, didn't I? <laughs> yeah. Did you? Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Because Brian Froud said it, it made the image feel flat. They had to redo some of the lighting before they started shooting proper. And that's one, one of the things that I mentioned earlier. Question number two. My favourite set is the castle set that houses the titular Dark Crystal. True. Craig's gone for true. <laughs> <laughs> now, you like the uh, orrery. You like Mother Augur's orrery. Yeah. yeah. The planetarium, whatever it's called. The orrery. orrery. Yeah. <laughs> I believe I mentioned it several times. <laughs> the Cinemaster and Ben are correct saying false, but... My favourite set is the forest where Jen and Kira meet. So ah, that's a point oh, yeah. on the board for me for the season, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like it's your season. Excellent. Ben, what have you got for us? A little bit about the voices they used for mm. the Gelfling. They got uh, Stephen, Stephen Garlick and Lisa Maxwell to voice Jen and Kira. But the voices went through a harmonizer mm. to give it an otherworldly quality. Wow, I did not notice. Yeah. yeah, it's not actually their voices. Yeah, so this harmonizer, apparently what it does is it's able to change the, the tone and the pitch without slowing it, as you, mm. know, you know normally you would either s- slow it or speed it up. But this harmonizer is able to do that without uh, changing the pacing, which I thought wow. was quite interesting. I wish I was editing this episode because I would do it to your voice during that bit. Hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, you know, Frank Oz co-directed it with Jim Henson and he wanted to focus on directing mainly, but uh, he was finally persuaded to perform as Mother Augra, which he did. He also did the uh, the Chamberlain, one of the Skeksis. So he was a, a very busy man as well as the direction. I like the Chamberlain. Ah! Oh! That's basically mm. all he does. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's my triv yeah very nice I'd, I'd like to add on to that, the end of that yeah uh, Frank Oz voiced and operated Augra to begin with and then his voice was changed out I think for yeah for Billy Whitelaw yeah fantastic mm. so 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 good Absolutely yeah. brilliant. Isn't but he's obviously the craze man in the craze. Yeah. I think she is in the Spandau Ballet craze. Oh, I'd love it if she still did it in Mother Augur style. Don't <laughs> know. Don't know. You're a naughty boy, Martin Kemp. You're a naughty boy. <laughs> Craig. On the design of the, the Skeksis, one of the first inspirations for that for Jim Henson was the crocodile from Peter Pan. And then in his design of it, Brian Froud, he was looking at reptiles, buzzards, and dragons. Uh, and what he was known for, he was he was an artist. Henson had seen his work in a book called Once Upon a Time. But what he didn't know is that Brian Froud was also a sculptor. So he was able to sculpt little maquettes uh, for them to base the puppets on, which I would imagine was a, a huge not relief, but like a, a huge win. Like they must have been really pleased about that. And 
one of the original ideas for the Skeksis is that they'd be based on the seven deadly sins and there would be seven of them. Mm. Some elements of that remain. You get like the Gourmand, he's clearly gluttony, uh, but they didn't lean too heavily mm. into that in the end. And then this is uh, my favorite piece of uh, creature design trivia. So the, the Gartham, the insectoid creatures that are quite reminiscent of the bugs from Nauska Valley of the Wind, those puppets were so heavy that the actors had to be hung up every five minutes, so suspended yeah. to take the weight <laughs> off them. But yeah. The design of them, Henson and, F- and Froud would enjoy lobster dinners together, and then Froud would crack up the lobster carapaces and put them into different patterns, and that's how he came up with the design for them, which <laughs> I just think is brilliant. <laughs> wow. That's amazing, isn't it? And that's from, uh, that's that's amazing, not from any like yeah. shitty sources like IMDb or anything. That's from his DVD commentary, so we know that's legit. Ah, very good. As I'll, I've got a few quick bits of trivia. Um, uh, neatly following on from your um, design talks with Brian Froud and Jim Henson. Jim Henson and Frank Oz used to get a limo to the set and stuff every day. And the limo driver said he used to pick them up. And when they're in the back, they'd also be talking about, you know, the days going on and stuff like that and ideas and what have you. And then sometimes they would automatically start talking as Bert and Ernie. <laughs> so they'd have all these conversations in the back as Bert and Ernie from Sesame Street. And he said, and he said he was, you know, the, the, I, I don't, can't remember the name of the, the limo driver, but he said, you know, he, he was uh, party to some of the most amazing expletive-ridden conversations Bert and Ernie have ever had in their lives. So... And the other one I was quickly going to say was uh, the creature designer and performer Tim Clark, who was instrumental in in making a lot of the puppets. Um, I think particularly it was the the mystics and things like that. He later went on to become a toy maker after Jim Henson took a pass on his suggestion. And what was his big creation that we – must have all had one at one point. Have a guess. Stretch Armstrong. Nope. Volkswagen uh, Polo. <laughs> Good. I know what it is. I know what it is. Flashlight. <laughs> Flashlight. <laughs> no, that was Jim Henson himself. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was uh, was of course the almighty Boglins. Okay. I never had a Boglin. I'm not a fucking nerd. Yeah, do you never had a Boglin? I had a Boglin. I never had Boglin. Is that where you nah. squeeze in and the snot comes out? <laughs> I think. I know, yeah, I did have one. Yeah. Yeah, you had one. Yeah, yeah they were just squeeze like, yeah. snot comes it's out. rubbery. Yeah. 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 They were just, yeah. 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 And apparently, they make, they're tr- he's trying to make him. Uh, tr- well, they had a comeback a few years ago, didn't they? So. Mm. Well, you didn't mention the, the other piece of triv that. I have, which I think is the oh, biggest piece of trivia well, movie on the film. So in looking at Brian Froud's concept art, a motif kept cropping up of the, the crystal of truth and designs they'd done for it. And uh, Jim Henson just said to him, why do you keep drawing this crystal? And Brian Froud said, what do you mean? It's like the central concept. And apparently he'd misheard Jim Henson. The film was the dark chrysalis and it was meant to be about <laughs> the change of the world. But yeah. on seeing the concept art, he really liked it, and, and and they were going to call it the crystal. Froud said, "No, that's, that sounds too boring. What about dark crystal?" And that's where they they got that name <laughs> from. So pretty cool. Wow. Ah. Uh, and you mentioned uh, Bert and Ernie, so this is a, a thing that I read that I couldn't yeah. verify, but it's, it's believable. There was apparently a deleted scene that was 
storyboarded of them going to an underground area with a tiny civilization of mining people that was later reused for Fraggle Rock. <laughs> ah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they used a lot of the animatronics in this for Fra- Fraggle Rock as well, didn't they? I, could, I couldn't verify that. Well, yeah, you, you, you could see the, the podlings as well. They're mm. a, a resemblance to the, the fra- mm. Fraggle Rock folk. Down a Fraggle Rock. Ooh, ooh. Grab a Fraggle by his cock. Swing around your head. Swing it till that fuck is dead. <laughs> right, uh, favourite sequences. Uh, we'll go for Ben first. I've, I've got loads, but I'll start with an early one that I just absolutely adore. Is the way in the opening credits it sets it up with a crystal on one side of the screen and then the logo, the dark crystal, appears on the other and it's just yeah. a gorgeous shot and it just it just sets you up for the film mm-hmm. excited to know more glowing crystal is there kind of enticing you in and then you've got this beautiful design of the uh, of the film's logo just so beautifully done yeah fantastic Gaz? well I've got a bit of a twofer my favourite oh, sequence yeah. also has my favourite dialogue uh, and so economical and it is when the first Skeksis emperor is dying in bed <laughs> that whole yeah. sequence and his dialogue is just the most melodramatic like a uh, stage <laughs> old Shakespearean actor yeah. with his arms in the air saying <laughs> I I I am still M M Emperor, <laughs> and then yeah. he instantly desiccates <laughs> and traumatizes yeah. hundreds of thousands of children for the rest of their life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's brilliant. <laughs> That's it. It's those it's those moments that that haunt you as a kid, don't they? Really, and and then it's got to go back to like the sweet and innocent gelfling and all that kind of stuff to try and bring you back down from this terror. And then it's back to the Skeksis again later. So, <laughs> Craig. I wrote the exact same thing, same line, same sequence. <laughs> <laughs> really? But, like, yeah, really. But well, I guess backup, another sequence that I really loved that, you know, kind of stuck me out of finding it dull is the first appearance of the Gartham, the giant uh, bugs, that when they roll into the yeah. crystal chamber. That's, yeah, that was, I was like, "Oh shit, here we go." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Another line that I really like is the first time the Gartham Master and the Chamberlain cross paths, and he's he's going, mm. and he, he says, <laughs> he says, just says to him uh, something like, "I hate your whining." Which I just yeah, nice I hate your exchange. whimper. Whimper, that's it. Hate your whimper. Yeah. As for me, my um, my favorite sequence was. And I, I sat and watched it with uh, Eli, so he was sat watching it next to me. And when it when it was coming up, I, I was watching him see what his reaction was. And it's uh, when Fizzgig first appears out of the log, just goes like that. So I sat there and I was just like looking at Eli, and he he just went, "Jeez!" <laughs> <laughs> so it provided exactly what I was looking for. Yeah, so that was fantastic. Anybody not give any favourite lines yet? I haven't given mine, and mine I quote endlessly. I just adapt it to whatever situation I'm in. But yeah. my favourite line is, look like Gelfling. <laughs> Smell like Gelfling. Maybe you are Gelfling. <laughs> <laughs> I have a 
pod to recommend to you all. It's uh, called Trial by Stone, a Dark Crystal podcast by Philip Mitchell. No, not that Philip Mitchell. Philip has a genuine love for the Dark Crystal combined with interviews from some key players from the franchise and beyond. I listened to several episodes to prepare for this very episode. So if you're jonesing for some more Thra, Trial by Stone is your podcast. Skeksis are a bit concerned about a certain prophecy being fulfilled when a presumed exterminated Gelfling appears, looking for a crystal shard. In an attempt to heal the Dark Crystal and end the rule of the Skeksis before the Great Conjunction is complete, when they are destined to rule perpetually thereafter. The Skeksis attempt to thwart the Gelfling's journey to the Dark Crystal by sending their monstrous creatures, the Garthim, to capture and eliminate any Gelfing they find. So, what did we all think of the plot? It had a plot? <laughs> it had a what? <laughs> they don't really have a plan, do they? They, they, send, nah. they send the beetle monsters out. I forget what they're called. Some, someone Garfin. said it many times previously. Yeah. Garfin. Uh, and that's basically it. <laughs> that's their entire plan. <laughs> So you, you can't really say that it's good or bad because it's 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 not even a plan. I think the Chamberlain <laughs> is the most cunning of them and, and the most diabolical and has the most plans, but they don't really involve defending the crystal. They're just all mm-hmm. about him. <laughs> just really care about anything else. That's their problem, isn't it? The Skeksis, yeah. they're so self-involved. I totally right. agree. There's no plot whatsoever. And so despite my absolute love for this film, it's going to get our lowest ever broccoli rating of one florid. Wow. One Shit. Yeah, I would agree with all those points there. They don't really do anything. So what I don't understand is why when the crystal shard is on the floor of the crystal chamber, does Kira fly down to get it, but then not fly up to the top of the crystal? <laughs> to that would killed. require too much <laughs> brain power and agency for her character. <laughs> what do I do now, Jen? I don't know. <laughs> Die. <laughs> Should I use those wings I use for flying? You want me to use the clamps? <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, the Skeksis are quite lazy, and then other than deploying their crustacean-like creatures and some crystal bats, they are out of ideas. But can we do any better? Gaz, can you prevent the crystal being healed? To be sure. I hope you haven't done what I've done. You might have. This is the week well, when I felt the closest that you and I might have done the same thing. I was writing it. I had another idea, but I forgot it. So I went back to my initial idea, which I wasn't going to do because I thought, oh, this could be a common, common idea. So we'll see. We'll see. Okay. Okay. For this week, we see the great conjunction of ideas and we all have the same plan. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Gaz is my Skeksis and I'm his uh, mystic. Well, that's a bold claim. (laughs) (laughs) The Skeksis weren't born yesterday, you know. Despite their squawks and their squeaks, they're an intelligent bunch of ragamuffins. Ragamuffins who have stolen power, and ragamuffins who wish to keep power at all costs. 
If you look up the weird ragamuffin in the dictionary, <laughs> it will have a little drawing of a Skeksis emperor next to the definition. If you type the word ragamuffin into a search engine, the bar at the top will say, did you mean Skeksis? <laughs> if you try to add some blueberry muffins into an online click and collect from your supermarché of choice, it will cause the device to explode. <laughs> explode in a shower of Skeksis warts and some blueberries. Couple of fresh blueberries on some muesli, maybe some raspberries too. Lovely. But anyway, as I was saying, the Skeksis are not a bunch of dumb fucks. They know that Jen is on the way with the shard to fulfil the prophecy. They've seen it in the Dark Crystal. Instead of just sending their little crab monsters out to capture him and bring him back to their castle, they should send them out with some crystals of their own. Jen loves crystals after all. He's all about them, the mad lad. Naturally, it would need to be something new and alluring in its presentation. The Dark Crystal sits at the castle. Jen has a clear crystal shard in his possession. So, perhaps a nice shade of blue. Yes, some blue crystal. And what is the most potent slash addictive form of blue crystal? (laughs) My crystal meth, of course! (laughs) Once the beetle things catch up to Jen, they act in a very friendly manner instead of a weird creepy one, and point to the time on one of the wristwatches that they all wear. It's 4.20. Needless to say, the crab beetle things get Jen hooked on the crystal meth. He's an easily influenced young lad with a stupid face to boot, so it wouldn't be difficult. Jen loses a buttload of weight, his hair thins, and all of his teeth fall out as he is hopelessly enthralled to the sweet, sweet blue crystals. The conjunction goes off without a hitch. The prophecy is averted. Kira lays dead in a ditch somewhere, probably. And those ragamuffin Skeksis reign supreme to the end of all things. <laughs> that was not what I thought of. That's really good. Like that. <laughs> Blue crystal. I can see how you did. Crystal meth is a nice... Jesus nice Christ. In there. In there. I think, actually, in the comics, they do send out some dummy crystals. <laughs> not crystal meth, but just some, some fake shards. Well, Chris got loads, hasn't she? Yeah. I believe... You try to solve something with a, a single line there. <laughs> it was something along the lines of the Gartham act all friendly like. Yes. Now also they've got they all wear wristwatches. <laughs> Are they able to do that? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> because in my version of Age of Resistance, they've been engineered to be able to do it. <laughs> they they do exactly what they're told, right? <laughs> Otherwise, they would attack the Skeksis. They do exactly what they're told. So basically, in Gaz's universe of the Age of Resistance, they're kind of a, a manufactured Lumiere. Like, be our guest, be our guest. <laughs> but one of them's Cogsworth, and they're always bickering on their way to do their tasks. <laughs> Is that how you envisage it, Gaz? Uh, no, I, don't, I didn't envisage them talking. They could, They could possibly do the... The motions, the dancing, and so forth. They do exactly what they're told, right? Like if if a Skeksis brought them into the chamber and said, "Take this crystal meth <laughs> to uh, <laughs> to the Gelfling," they just would do it, right? And they would know not not to kill them. I think they're completely under their Skeksis control. They're not wild. Yeah, but I'm more worried about Jen and Kira seeing these creatures. Quite quite intimidating creatures. I think you'll agree. Mm. Charging towards them. With these glowing blue crystals. I don't think they're going to hang about. If you didn't want to throw in the 
funny reference about them having wristwatches. You could just say that they just leave the crystals around and they don't see them, right? Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like a trail of breadcrumbs, trail of crackcrumbs. I've come to terms at, at episode 61 with the fact that Gaz's plans are always going to contain a, a lot of colour. It isn't necessarily related to the plot. <laughs> <laughs> They're like vines hanging down in a jungle. Right. You've got to kind of part them <laughs> to find the real plan. Exactly. <laughs> oh, Kira, what is this tasty blue crystal, Kira? Oh, lick yeah. it with me. Let's dream fast and lick this well. crystal. Yeah. No. Oh, she's um, dead in a ditch. Forgot um, about that. Yeah. Day. No, they, they don't even make. No meat. In bed. That makes sense. Fist contact would be made around about the same time as in the film, so at Ogre's residence which is ah, just okay. before he meets Kira in the jungle, isn't it? Or the forest. Yeah. So Kira would just, like I say, she'd just be dead in a ditch or something. She'll have tripped <laughs> over and cracked her head open and just bled out or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Torn her wings off. <laughs> or perhaps her, uh, she hasn't quite mastered the poddling language and she accidentally offends someone and gets spooned to death. <laughs> spooned? I'll spoon yeah. you so hard, goddammit. They use yeah, those spoons as weapons, don't they? Oh, right. I thought, I thought you meant like spoon does in line, somebody be lying behind her in bed. <laughs> Spooning that, that way. That's possible, <laughs> sir. What a way to go. <laughs> Excellent. I'm worried about this blue crystal, what it might do to my body. Try it, it is. Yeah. <laughs> right. We shall go with Craig next. As Gelfling, Jen and Kira infiltrate the castle with the missing shard of the Crystal of Truth, the Chamberlain perceives his moment is at hand. No longer will he be outcast. He will reclaim his place at the Emperor's side. He implores the Gelfling once more, please, please, to join him. The Gelfling refuse his kind hand. They stab it with the Crystal Shard. He is outraged. He shakes the cave and buries them. He will take the winged Gelfling to the others as proof of fealty and cunning. But wait. The Chamberlain reconsiders. He recalls the prophecy he saw. If Gelfling have shard, then Gelfling could restore crystal, as foreseen. He will not take Gelfling closer to the shard. He will leave them in the cave and reach the crystal before them. He takes the Garthim paths to the top of the crystal chamber, out of sight of Skeksis. Chamberlain hoists up his robes and leaps atop the crystal. Skeksis have seen. What are you doing? They ask him. Just then, resilient Gelfling enter the chamber. They live yet as he knew they must. Loyal Chamberlain points to Gelfling. Skeksis see. Much excitement. Much danger. Chamberlain feels adrenaline, arousal. Chamberlain places <laughs> Willie in crystal hole. <laughs> Willie grows, engorged. Skeksis have seen. What are you doing? They ask him again. <laughs> Gelfling have crystal shard. Seek to repair the dark crystal. Clever Chamberlain blocks the hole Gelfling cannot replace. But you can't stay there forever, they tell him. The darkness will consume your body as it did the Emperor. <laughs> Besides, what if Gelfling pull you off? Mm. <laughs> mm. Yes! Keep talking dirty to Skeksil. His moment is so close at hand. 
So close. <laughs> this is madness, cries Skekung. We should be sucking the essence from these gelflings. <laughs> Chamberlain fills Crystal Hole with thick, sticky ropes of his essence. <laughs> his willy withdraws into its preputial sheath. His willy withdraws into its preputial sheath. Jen and Kira vomit uncontrollably just as the mystics arrive. Jesus. The Chamberlain's Uru counterpart, Ursol, rubs his eyes in disbelief. Why on Thra did we ever want to become reunified with these disgusting creatures, he thinks. He tosses the crystal shard into the pit, along with Jen, as Skekung stabs Kira. Soon, Skeksis will turn to dust, Mystics will turn to light, and Thra will die, and whatever lies beyond the veil, he hopes they will forget the whole sorry business. Don't think I have any questions. Ah. <laughs> uh, soon as the thought of him plugging up his uh, the hole with his willy <laughs> popped into my head, I couldn't let go of it. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to go a slightly different direction with it when you said he was hoisting his robes up and he jumped onto it. I thought, <laughs> I thought you were going to say he jumped arse first onto it and he like squeezes the entire crystal up his arse and then it'd be a dark crystal-shaped skexist like waddling about. <laughs> <laughs> just for my own mental image if you had yeah. to compare a Skeksis penis yeah. to a, an animal that we might be aware of on this planet which uh, which would be the closest comparison like a, like a lipstick red rocket so I was thinking like it works like a dog's penis which is why I mentioned it has a preputial sheath yeah yeah that's the name of the flap that it comes out of but because he's a, a very large creature the 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 penis part that comes out very large. It's about the size of a crystal shard. Hello? <laughs> is How it, ironic. Is it red rocket raw or is it a, is it a darker colour? No, it's uh, it's like reddish purple. It's got some like green and yellow veins, some pustules. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I just imagined it would just be another like a, a, a longer version of one of their fingers essentially, and it curved round in a similar way. <laughs> it can curve, but in this case it didn't because of the hole it was going into. Okay. But also his, his essence, his, yeah. uh, his, his jism, yeah. kind of yellow, kind of green. Oh, God. Like, it's a blood flowing in it. Oh, Jesus oh. Christ. <laughs> now you've gone too far. Yeah, that's it. No, no, you've lost me now. <laughs> kind of like egg yolk. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I suppose the only the only flaw, all of it's very believable and mm. the only flaw I'd say is do we see any of the Skeksis Dicks. Uh display the kind of physical attributes to be able to leap on top of the crystal? Yeah, the hunter in Age of Resistance is yeah. well nimble. He is pretty good. All right. Okay. Don't forget they got multiple limbs, so a leap like that wouldn't be that difficult you could use two of your arms out of the four with your legs to propel yourself like uh, just flapping your arms like a like when you pretend to be a bird or something yeah and he could <laughs> he's you know he's got stockpiles of essence that he keeps for himself of of yeah. gelfling essence not his own brand so he can rejuvenate a bit yeah well they've run out of gelfling essence right. so in the film aren't they because they've I'll got rid of all the gelfling so they've only got yeah, but essence. He's, 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 he's a cheap. The chamberlain you know he's got some somewhere like he should have 
been more decrepit than he than he is. But he looks basically the same as he did before. Gelfling essence is like fairy liquid. A few drops will go a long way. Whereas if you get a supermarket <laughs> right. brand of dishwashing liquid, i.e. the podlings, like podling essence, then you can use half yeah. a bottle on one washing up. Right attempt exactly the scientist yeah. tries to explain this to the the emperor doesn't he he's like if we keep keep the gelfling alive and use a little bit yeah if he'd used that explanation i've just given you then you know it would have been they would have won yeah mild green gelfling effluence right any further questions no right ben. for some reason i've written my name down as if i was going to make notes on my own plan which i'm not going to already know what it was <laughs> <laughs> just just give yourself like a, a score out of ten. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just, just write the word subpar. <laughs> Unfair. Uh, it's just a little joke. I enjoyed it thoroughly. <laughs> All right, here we go. When the Gartham drops their bundle on the floor and Mother Augra f- rolls out of the sack instead of the Gelfling they expected, the Skeksis should have realised the danger they were in. A Gelfling fulfilling the prophecy is bad news. But luckily... The tiny window of opportunity afforded by the Great Conjunction means that the odds are still very much in their favour. They decide that if they can't kill or capture the Gelfling, then all they really need to do is delay them until the alignment of the Three Suns has passed. And the best way to do it is by using someone the little Gelfling trust. Skek Et, otherwise known as the Ornamentalist, sets to work sewing together a costume of undeniable quality. <laughs> Skeksil, the Chamberlain, a Skeksi of unrivaled cunning, is given the honour of wearing it. He slips it on and waits in the crystal chamber for the Gelfling to arrive. The Gartham are given instructions to delay the Gelfling as much as possible by driving them down toward the catacombs, as in the film. Mother Augur is gagged, put back in her sack and well hidden, perhaps beneath the dead emperor's bed. When Jen eventually reaches the crystal chamber, he sees Mother Augra standing before him. Although she seems larger than the old bat he remembers from their brief encounter in the orrery. My Mother Augra, how big you are. <laughs> All the better to tend the gentle creatures of Fra, my dear, the Chamberlain ad-libs. Looking more closely now, Jen notices that Mother Augra, standing before him, has feathers in place of hair. My, my, Mother Augra, what long feathers you have. All the better to... Well, you get the idea. (laughs) This goes on for several minutes until Jen's (laughs) curiosity is exhausted and the little gullible fool remembers why he's there. I need to repair the crystal when the suns align, Mother Augra, he says. No, you don't, says the Chamberlain, still doing his best daft old biddy impression. But I thought you... Jen is now looking very confused and swinging his head from side to side in that annoying way he does. (laughs) No, no, continues the Chamberlain. After the Great Conjunction, after. Jen may or may not realise it's all a ruse. Either way, while he's confused and asking all these pointless questions, the Conjunction comes and goes, (laughs) and with it the opportunity to heal the crystal. The Skeksis, who will now rule forever, celebrate with some delicious Gelfling essence. <laughs> <laughs> so wasn't the Chamberlain banished at that point? Doesn't he only get back because he brings Kira? 
they bring him back because they realize like he's the only one that can pull off the, the ruse. So right. they send out the Gartham to get him. Is he still in the sack when he's talking to Jen? So Mother Augra's in the sack. Yeah. The real Mother Augra. Yeah. And the Chamberlain is disguised as Mother Augra in a just a, a well-made costume by the ornamentalist. Very skillful uh, costume designer. What about the face? Yeah, it's all covered. The, <laughs> the ornamentalist has, has made a full body suit. It's very, very well it's made. It's very good, is it? Okay. Did you not hear the line I solved it with? I said, it's undeniable quality. No, no, <laughs> not to uh, Yeah, sorry, I missed that. No further questions. <laughs> in Wrath of Khan. But you did then also say, you went on to say that Jen asked a lot of questions about the costume. It's kind of been that good. Yeah, it's more. It's more like he's noticed it's bigger, and there's there's yeah. the bits that he seems to remember different. But he's, he's so he, yeah. stupid. He doesn't really. Plus, he's he's there. Really he's about to get the deal done, and then all of a sudden he's been told, "No, no, it's something else," and he's probably a bit suspicious. But then, because he's so dim, he's asked to ask these questions, yeah. and then eventually he's like, doesn't know whether it's Monday, or Tuesday, or Wednesday. He's uh, first. He's like late. first. He's like, I'm not sure if that's the real Mother Augra. And then in the same breath, he's like, the real Mother Augur it is. <laughs> and then carries on chatting. You know, there is something else that happens during the Great Conjunction that might spur him to actually try and do what he was doing, which is that all the mystics show up. Oh, bugger, I forgot about the bastards. That's, they, they go, that's not <laughs> Mother <laughs> by the time they finish speaking the conjunction's the over conjunction happened, yeah. <laughs> but that is a good point that I definitely considered and didn't forget <laughs> maybe they were just coming for like a party or something you could just say that they're just coming for, oh, they're, yeah they're just here for the party the, the party give no further explanation you know the yeah. party yeah no more questions for me then go Cinemaster as reigning champion blows away. Okay. I shall call us a taxi, bundle us in, and uh, get us home. It's back to the drawing board for the scientist Skektek. Not only is his essence yielding significantly less potency these days, his Gartham are mindless morons. He needs a more point-and-shoot weapon. Scientists once again... In an act of desperation, turns to the exploited Grunak. The Grunak, a once proud, technologically advanced race, are affected by the fall of Thra as much as the rest of the world's inhabitants. With the land dying and the Skeksis on the verge of ruling forever, they decide to throw their lot in with them, in the hope that they will at least get some crumbs from the table in the new world order. Together, they reproduce more Gartham to serve as simple castle guards to cover all entrances and exits, allowing no one to enter. The Grunak also bring new animals to the scientist to his, add to his collection in his laboratory. Some more interesting than others. The scientist selects one such animal, apparently bred to herd Nebri, an animal that is mostly a big mouth covered in fur but remains slightly cowardly when threatened. Yes, laugh it up, Fuzzball. The scientist sees potential in the Fizzgig species, whatever they're called. Roughly the size of a rabbit, they breed like rabbits, but more like a tribble. So I'm going to call them Trabbits. 
<laughs> the scientist and the Grunak begin work on the hybrid Trabbits, using the power of the crystal to remove their goodness, obeying the lords of the crystal and turning them into fearless killing machines, thirsty for Gelfling blood. He soon has hundreds of Trabbits ready to be released and more on the way, all slavering and foaming at the mouth in anticipation of some din-dins. He also creates some crystal catapults that launch the Trabbits great distances so they can get places quickly. And the crystal bats can perhaps carry one and carry out bombing raids by dropping them on any, any Gelflings they see. So with the castle locked down and the Trabbits on the loose, the Skeksis can rest easy. Who would have thought that something so cute could be so deadly? Licky Kiki, the home security Trabbit. <laughs> it just came to me. So yeah, go on. You said he makes more Gartham from what? Yeah, from uh, from other bits of the Grunak and stuff, and the uh, those the wood lice, the giant wood the, lice. Yeah, the, they killed some of them to make the mm. first ones, but they mm-hmm. they sided with the Gelfling after that, so they wouldn't have access. to Yeah, them but that's in, yeah, but that's in the Age of Resistance, isn't it? So I'm just talking about this one. Yeah, but that's before this. So he made Garth no, from those. Yeah, the, the and age then of... they all fucked off, so he didn't have access to them any longer. He didn't have any more bodies to make. No, that's the Age of Resistance, which is like a slightly different story, isn't it? So yeah, but it's a prequel story. I'm saying in the Age of Resistance, he makes Gartham from the dead bodies of the the Arrakan or whatever they're called, the spider yeah. creatures. So how can you make more? The, yeah, but the Grunak throw their lot in. I just said like the Grunak throw their lot in with the Skeksis because they know they're, they're up shit creek. Yeah. The Skeksis are going to win. So they go, right, okay, we'll, ju- we'll jump in with them. We'll do whatever they want. Yeah, sure. It's just you don't see any of the spider creatures in it, do you? So I just assumed they weren't around. Any. Yeah, you don't see any Skeksis stick though either, so. <laughs> you, you don't what? You just imagine that. Yeah. You don't see a Skeksis dick. <laughs> Sadly. <laughs> but that doesn't mean they don't have one, because it's under the road. Well, but if there were a lot of giant spiders in the world, you would expect to see them, because they're not under robes. <laughs> it's quite realistic that they would be able to find these spiders somewhere. And there, then, there was a few of them. Yeah. That's fine. That's fine. Do they even need them, though? I don't even know if they need the Gartham. It's the fizz gigs that are the, the main part, isn't it? Yeah, well, they, they need to stop people getting into the castle because that was right. thing. The Gartham were coming back, and that was it was like a, a, a weak point for them, wasn't it, really? Because all the Gartham were trying to get back in, and then they... Just plug up the holes. Yeah, so instead, it was, like I say, my, my plan was twofold, was the, was the Gartham just being, just basically being like door blocks, and stopping anybody getting in, and then the fizz gigs with the with the offensive part of my plan. Yeah, very offensive. Mm. I found it offensive. Good. Right. So, in summary, we had Gaz's crystal meth craziness, Craig's dirty dark deeds done dirt cheap. Ben's Chamberlain costume con, or my ferocious fizz gig fandango. Please cast your votes. Uh, we shall go for Gaz. I have voted for one season ghost champion, now known as Craig. <laughs> Very good. The artist formerly known as Countacular. <laughs> Craig. I'll always be Countacular of your hearts, Peril Pals. <laughs> I have voted for 
Yes. Oh. What was that? I can't remember what his plan was now. Crystal meth. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was good. Yeah, that was good. I voted for the artist formerly known as Count Satacula. <laughs> <laughs> and I have also voted for Greg. There you go. You can see oh, online. He swept the board. There you go. Oh, it's a strong start to the season. There we go. It's Very strong. A, a comeback, uh, if you'll pardon the pun. Yeah. <laughs> you've really dressed all those knockers <laughs> I've really come out swinging so Gaz how does that affect the leaderboard <laughs> <laughs> big change big change yeah yeah in first place with three points is Craig in second place with one point is myself and languishing in final place, with zero points each, are Ben and the Cinemaster. Mm-hmm. Still all to play for, though. And I'd just like to remind you, I got I got nil point on the first episode of the last season. So, you know, and look how that turned out. Lucky no points. I just don't see a way that I'm going to win this now. So, <laughs> Not if you keep coming up with shit plans like that, no. <laughs> Just joshing. As host next week, Ben has the pick of the film. So what are we going to be put through next week, Ben? Mark. Yeah. Ing. Yeah. Bird. Yeah. We're going to be watching our second Farrelly Brothers movie, Dumb oh. and Dumber. Mm. A second Jim Carrey mm. movie, too. Mm. Third Jim Carrey movie. Oh, yeah, it's Ventura as well. And that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Thank you for listening and I hope you've enjoyed yourselves as much as we have. If you have, please leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcast from. And don't forget to follow us so that you never miss an episode. Why not share us with a friend, acquaintance or colleague? And follow us across social media on at DiabolicalPod. So until next time, dear listeners, end, begin, all the same. Down to Fraggle Rock. Grab a Fraggle by his cock. Swing it round your head. Swing it till the fuck is dead. So they just came and lived in your house, three bees? Yeah, little suitcases. I said, <laughs> I like bees. If, you, if you'd have been wasps, I would have turfed you straight out. But bees, you're more than welcome. More than welcome. <laughs> well, I'm not going to pretend to understand it, how these bees have just moved into your house. <laughs> have they got a hive? Oh, yeah, they brought a little hive with them. But it's not as big as a normal hive. They keep themselves to themselves most of the time. They have a bit of a buzz for a couple of hours during the day, but I say in that time, just give it a rest, will you? I've got two questions. The first one is, are you making it up? And the second one's for Ben. And <laughs> Do you not think that he's making it up? Do you think this is something that happened? <laughs> I'm not sure. It's too early for my brain to comprehend it. <laughs> beta, right? <laughs> Cinemaster beta. Cinemaster beta. Yeah.
<laughs> very good. Very don't, sharp. Don't sun, don't sunder my name. I'm sorry. You have a <laughs> a uh, infectious joy that you spread to the, those around you. That's <laughs> uh, well. I couldn't ask for a better compliment. Thank you very much. And Elizabeth Moss fans might want to check out our Invisible Man episode. Oh yeah, but uh, well, have we done any of the others on there actually? Or uh, well, we uh, we go down. A, we could say Kieran Culkin is in, also in Scott Pilgrim. Um, Scott Pilgrim, Elizabeth Moss. Uh, so we, Elizabeth we could do Moss. that, couldn't we? But let's not. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I thought, wow, we've done. This is our fourth 1982 film. Wow. Can't imagine another another year being so popular yet. Anyway, what about 1987? What 1998? Uh, about 2013? We haven't done four films of that. What about 1066? No, no. As far as I know, there was no uh, recorded images or moving pictures. It was all tapestries back then, wasn't it? Tapestries, Punch <laughs> and Judy shows. The tapestries do a comeback, if you don't mind me saying. Doesn't make any fucking sense. Should we pivot <laughs> to make this podcast a tapestry? Ta- a tapcast. Like, <laughs> even the experts don't know who fucking Harold is in the Bayou Tapestry. We can't agree, so it's confusing as shit. Yeah, we'll label ours. All right, and that's it. <laughs> I could not find any information on cinematography nor sets to save my fucking life on this. No. <laughs> I had uh, different okay. search engines on the go and all sorts, and I couldn't find a fucking thing. Yeah. So there you go. It's, 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 more of a, it's definitely more of a deep dive, yeah. Did you ask Jeeves? Uh, I didn't ask Jeeves. <laughs> I goggled. I duck, duck, goad. I yahooed. That was it, those three. <laughs>